Hello, welcome back to 45 Not Out. This time we're on episode 8. And like the previous episode, I'm going a little off piste. I thought it might be interesting to ascertain a man's eye view of the working world. A gentleman over 45, of course. And this episode sees me talking to Adrian Foster Fletcher. Adrian's a recruitment guru and an expert in job hunting, particularly older job hunters. He's the founder and former MD of a highly successful headhunting consultancy and he's just written a book. The book's called Over 50, Get That Next Job. He wrote the book using his vast experience to offer tips and advice in how men and women in this age range can find the job of their dreams. And yes, it is possible. Adrian peppers his interview with tips to help job hunters find the job and he also describes scenarios from his vast career where it was a definite advantage having an older woman on the workforce. It's an informative but light-hearted chat and whether you're a job seeker or not, I'm sure you'll find a golden nugget or two of advice in there. My sincere thanks go to Adrian for taking the time out to speak to me and for his entertaining tales. I wish him every success for the book, although I'm sure this won't be needed. One thing I still need to mention though, although lockdown has been eased slightly, we're still forced to record online rather than face to face. With this, this brings any glitches in reception and bandwidth. And I ask that you bear with me for any occasional dropping conversation. Hopefully, it doesn't detract too much from Adrian's wisdom. But for now, here's Adrian. Hi there, welcome to 45 Not Out. Welcome to episode eight goodness we've got there. Thanks for being here and thank you for coming back. This time I'm speaking to Adrian Foster Fletcher. Adrian is a businessman, former headhunter, environmentalist and general expert on all things recruitment. He's also written a book. So Adrian, tell me about that book. What's it all about? What's it called? And why did you do it? The book's available on Amazon, Kindle, and a written book version. And I wrote it because I wanted to help people over 50 to find a job. The book is called Over 50? Get That Next Job. Mm-hmm. And I've been volunteering for the last 10 years, since I retired from my headhunting business, to um, volunteer for a job club in Newbury to help people get back into work. A very high success rate. And last year I met a young man who wasn't actually 50, he was 45. Uh, Matthew, lovely young man, who was Australian. And he had no family over here. He wasn't married, hadn't children. His parents weren't here, his siblings weren't here. So he was on his own. He did a very nice job at a very big company locally. And he lost his job. He was out of work for six months because he's in a very specialist sector. And to pay his mortgage, he'd been cleaning cars, washing cars. And I said to him, look, okay, we've got an hour today. Let me just 
let me just help you to try and find the areas where you're struggling. And I like to use, when I'm talking to people, analogies in life that they can relate to. And at the time, the Rugby World Cup was on. And I could see he was a big sports fan. Well, he's Australian, for heaven's sake. So I talked about, he got the ball 79 yards down the pitch with one yard to go. And I told him how he got the ball, that last yard over the line, to score a try. And at the end of it, he said, you know, that's the most inspirational hour of my life I've ever spent. He said, you don't know how good you are. You should write a book. And I laughed it off. The next day he phoned me up and he said, I went for an interview yesterday and I've been offered the job. He said, um, I have to think it was the hour we spent yesterday. You should write that book. And on the Monday he said, look, he said, they've phoned up and made me the verbal offer. You should write that book. So I thought, you know what? He obviously has got a great deal out of this. I've got a lot to give. I know a lot of things. I'll write that book. And so I sat there every morning at six o'clock for 17 days and for two hours pounded the keyboard and I produced the book faster than it took the company to get Matthew a job offer. A lot of commitment there then, Adrian. I mean, but did you find, I mean, it's obviously, it's, it's your niche, isn't it? Obviously, former headhunter and used to sort of working with people to sort of find them the right opportunities for them, not just a case of putting um, square pegs in round holes, but finding the right opportunity for people to get work. Um, what would you like to see the book achieve? I mean, obviously, you've given the example of Matthew, but that's not been off the book. I mean, if you could sort of, look forward six months 12 months maybe two years with the book what what would be the most important thing for you you know for the book to achieve well i mean the the, the first person that came through our doors at the job club when i'd written the book uh, was a man of 60 a very experienced man but he spent those the last 20 years working in africa and the job market in britain even in good times is very harsh on people who've worked abroad they take the view, well, that's where I go on holiday, so it can't be that hard. Particularly Africa, it's always sunny, so it can't be that hard. Um, so I said to him, look, I've written a book. Um, he said, yeah. He said, well, look, I've got a copy here. He said, well, I'll buy it off you now. He bought it off me, paid me the money. And he came back to me after a week. He said, I've read your book, he said, and I did exactly what it said. And I got three interviews on the first day of the last three months. I've managed three interviews in three months of working very, very hard, replying to jobs. Fabulous. And I was just this morning, I just popped into, um, I bought an electric car just a week before lockdown. Very good idea. And uh, I went into there and the receptionist has lost her job. They obviously don't need a receptionist with all the appointment system they've got. Why, what do they need a receptionist for? And I thought, you know, I know exactly what she could be doing. She's a a career woman, she's 45 to 50. I know exactly what she should be doing now to get me a job. So I'm hoping that it will be widely read and widely spread and that people will say, God, you know, it's a very tough market post COVID-19, a very tough market for anyone, even more so people over 45. But that book made the difference and got me a job where otherwise I'd have been out of work. Mm-hmm. So it looks as though, I mean, it's newly published, isn't it? When, when was it published? It was published in March, middle of March. Right. 
but I've actually spent the last month doing a, an update, and that's the brilliance of the Amazon model. You can just rewrite sections of it. So of course there's all post-COVID-19 things in there now to help people in that environment. Just basically submit the new document. And then anyone who orders a book from that day on gets the new uh, and it's all updated straight away. So, you know, that's a really good system they have. Yes, yes, brilliant. And like you say, I mean, who knows what's going to happen in the future. So, you know, if things get a bit tougher or whatever, you have that facility to sort of have a bit of a brainstorm and then add more thoughts and more wisdom in, into it as necessary. That's right. Yes. You know, the, key, the key part of the book, the, the, the main thrust of it is that when you are a young person looking for a job, you're online, you're on job boards, and you apply for things, and they reply, and you get interviews and all the rest of it. When you've reached 50, you have a much more specialist set of skills, and a much smaller niche. And when you apply for jobs that aren't just absolutely on the money, on the nail of, of, of what your skill set is, then you don't, you, you don't get taken seriously, you don't get any asked for interview. But it's worse than that because the online was made it easier to apply. So many more people are applying, and therefore companies take the view: well, I don't need to even reply. They need to acknowledge it. If they, you know, we want to see them, then we'll let them know. So you, you, you spend a lot of time. You do this lovely CV. You send it off. You think so you're a really good fit, and then you hear nothing. Mm -hmm. A week goes by, and you hear nothing and a month you hear nothing one of our candidates he had a reply after six months i mean it's just but but so you apply again and apply again and apply again one of our job club attendees had applied for 650 jobs Gosh. and i said to him andrew if you're Digging it in nowhere, stop digging, try and approach, because your approach isn't working. Mm. And a month later, get a job. Brilliant, brilliant. And that was all with your help then, was it, Adrian? Well, I, I like to think so. I mean, um, you know, he, he didn't say very much. I think he's probably very embarrassed, because if you think about it, you know, I've lived here for over 30 years. I'm an experienced businessman. I'd be hard pressed to write the names of 65 companies, let alone 650. Mm. Um, but for the likes of Pam, you know, from the uh, from our dealership here in, in Newbury, for her, it's all about applying direct. You know, you have to take the initiative and just look for companies near where you're based that you want to work for. It's not hard to find them. Our, our local paper has a very good job section every month in there interviewing leaders of companies. So you sit in the live, you go through back copies the last 12 months, you write down 50 names, you have a look at them, go online and check them out. And then you write your, you don't need to write a CV, you can just write a covering letter. Mm -hmm. Dear Mr. You know, for the last five years I worked at so-and-so in a very nice position, was very highly thought of, I'm looking for a new position, here's my credentials. And then, you know, there's no CV, it doesn't tell them how old you are, doesn't tell you that you got one GCSE in 1962. You just take it there 
and you walk into reception with it. Now walk into reception, immediately you can go, would I want to work here? Gosh, this place, it feels so cold and impersonal and, you know, people seem so unfriendly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that gives you that immediate feedback. And then you go in and you say, you go in at five o'clock in the evening and you say, oh, hello, it is Mr. Smith in by chance. Has he got five minutes? And there's your letter with personal, private and confidential, Mr. Smith and the company. And if he's there, then you can give it to him. And if he's not there, give it to reception and she'll give it to him. Mm-hmm. And the key thing is that people running companies like to see you show initiative. Mm-hmm. It shows you've got something about you. You've got some independent thought. You'll make a contribution to the company when you join. Um, you don't just sit there and collect your money. Mm. what's your opinion about there'd be a lot of people thinking about that and i mean I sort of i agree with you that if, if you can get to see somebody face to face that's going to be a lot more effective than sending an email but what, what's your thoughts on just whizzing an email through do you think that's as effective because there will, there will be a lot it's, of people that don't have the it's, it's lazy it's just lazy and therefore you shouldn't be surprised if they're lazy back look my niece got married a couple of years ago and they sent me out on email, they sent this, this list of presents you could buy. And I, and I fought out a lot of money. I fought out a hundred quid for a, I think it was a set of garden furniture. And I got an email back saying, thank you for your gift. She didn't even know what the gift was. Yeah. And I'd forgotten what I'd given her. So, you know, you have to break out of this digital, easy world and just do things that involve a little bit more effort and take time. Yeah. And show that you care and your interest and show that you want the job you know, when i when i sent someone out for interview as a headhunter i would phone up within 24 hours i'd phone up and i'd say hello una adrian here just think you see how'd you go with trace yesterday and the first question they always asked was tell me adrian what did tracy think of us really because they don't want to be the person that goes we thought tracy was great we're going to offer a job could you start on Monday? And I say, well, actually, Trace didn't much like the company and thought you were weren't very good. So they always ask. So that's the benefit of the direct approach of mm-hmm. going to reception, handing it in. You've shown the company, I want to join you. Mm-hmm. Sure, sure. The only thing is with Andrew, I mean, that's probably for when we get back to normal, if, if we ever do. <laughs> Not not everybody. Well, there are some organisations that still have a receptionist there. I I was in Manchester yesterday and I I walked past a few, but there will be a degree of them that don't have anybody around. But if that's the case, an an email, like you said, it's the second choice, really, an email. But um, that could always be done with a bit of a follow up by, by phone, even. Well, you could find the company, you could find the person on LinkedIn, Mm. you could connect with them. Mm. If they connect back with you, it shows that they actually got half interest in, 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 in who you are. They can see your profile. And I've been to this to promote, to promote my book. Any company laying off 500 plus people, I find the HR director, I connect with them on LinkedIn, and I send them a, a copy of the book to their house. Give me your home address. It goes to their house and say, look, this is complimentary for you, but why not think about giving this to your staff anyone who's over 45, 50, when they leave as a guy to help to get them back into work. Mm. But you've got to find a way 
to go the extra mile to find to make yourself different yes yeah great tip that great bit so this recruitment guru then adrian how did you get here well i started life um i did a degree in the history of art and as i hadn't been to public school and my parents weren't aristocrats i decided this wasn't the business to to make the fastest headway so i joined the then nascent it industry which was a fantastic move it was a great career and it was a i joined a great company and had uh, 10 great years there and what they did even back then in the in the dark days of the 70s and 80s was that when they brought people in for, in for interview they passed around the office oh adrian got john here come and have a look at john see what you think so you would spend 10 15 minutes talking to them and then when they joined the company you could then compare your thoughts on that person with how that person then behaved and performed so um you know that was uh one chap i saw and i said to him you're not really a salesman are you he said no i want a job in support and i said okay i said um i'll put you through to the support oh, like, oh yes we'll pass you through and i passed him through and he joined as a support guy and he was very good a very very good job and uh, when my son joined Oracle four years ago, he was sat next to him in the office in London, same room. <laughs> Goodness, God, it's a serendipity. It's a funny world, isn't it? How these things pan out. <laughs> so, so what happened then was I had three jobs that went wrong for me in three years. Um, and, you know, they weren't really my fault. I was just in the wrong place at the wrong time. And when the third one went wrong, I thought, you know, I want something in my control. I was very lucky. I got, a, I got an interview and was offered my dream job, which was um, sales director of a company running 35 salespeople, a company jag, a parking space outside the front door. Everything was a young career man in IT you'd hope for and dream of at the age of 34. But, you know, I thought, I want something in my control. I decide my success. I decide my failure. I decide when I start. I decide when I stop. And also, you know, working from home from 1988, um, I spent a huge amount of time with my children. You know, I mean, I was there for every school play, Christmas play, football match, cricket match, sports day. I didn't miss one in, in 15, 20 years. So I felt that, you know, I, I think I would have made more money if i'd stayed in that industry but i had a great quality of life yes sounds it sounds it now whilst you were um traping the um corridors of power <laughs> as, as a senior manager in in those positions were there any sort of older women that you worked with adrian and um, what i'm getting to is i mean at the, at the time and and now obviously we're, we're sort of um couple of decades on from that but older women in the workplace what was your take on that at the time I mean were there were there any and and sort of were they a benefit how what was your experience of working with older women okay so first of all you have to understand that you know my last day of employment with my company was October the 17th 1988 right <laughs> and I just hired our first salesperson sales lady right. in Warrington who did very well and to be fair to the IT company I worked for, they hired their first sales ladies in sort of 77, 78 in sales and support. 
And I'm pretty sure they were paid the same as us. I'm pretty sure we had equal pay. It was something you never thought about. I just thought, well, they're doing the same job. I assume, mm. assume they're paid the same. I never thought about it. But in terms of older women, when I then started my recruitment business, I made a point of employing women. And I probably employed about over 20 years, probably 10 or so women and one man. The one man was a complete, utter and total disaster. Because when you recruit for yourself, you make emotional, irrational judgments and don't mm. think about the person actually in the, in the totality. But I, I pulled a woman to work for me, um, Antoinette, and we worked together for, I think, four years. And she was an older woman. She joined when she was probably 50. And she was absolutely fantastic. And we doubled our turnover. You know, one of the reasons why I have such a, a nice, happy, easy, successful life now with everything you'd want in the world is because of the contribution that she made. I came in one morning and she said, um, here's a CV of someone that you should see. And I read this CV and I said, nah. no, no, I, I'm fine. I won't see him. He's really good. I don't care. I don't want to see him. Well, tough luck. He's coming here in 10 minutes time. We booked him in. I said, oh God. Anyway, 10 minutes later, this brand new Porsche car parked up outside my office on the drive. And of course, being an environmentalist, I'm not really into people who have, who are petrol heads. And I looked at her and she said, oh, she said he used to drive super bikes professionally. So excuse him that. Now I once went on a pier in Brighton on the super bike, um, monitor thing where you go in this thing, sit in it, and this it's a sort of simulator, simulator. And I was, I had my eyes shut tight and was nearly physically sick. And this guy had driven these bikes professionally. Anyway, he came in and I was determined to prove a point to my researcher that she got it wrong. And I spent two hours grilling him really, really hard. Result, he was fantastic. I, I phoned up as he was there, got an interview. He went for interview the next day, he got the job. And I got a really big fat fee. So she was great. She just did such a great job for me. And all our clients loved her. It's great to hear that even back then, when probably weren't as prolific, shall we say, in the workplace, that an older lady, and it's nice to hear you sort of give such a tribute. Like you say, she was an absolute, she's a platform really for you to sort of jump from, was she to sort of help you escalate Yes, I mean you need you need you need a pipeline of people to talk to. Mm. You know, if you talk to uh, Gary Lineker about you know, do you miss playing football, Gary? No, I miss scoring goals. Mm. Same with recruitment; you can't place people and score the goals unless you have a pipeline of people to talk to. Mm. And she produced that pipeline of people. She she taught those people, and they loved her. She did a very good job. Mm. And so, yeah, she was uh, she made a huge difference to the company. Great. That's good to hear. Thank you for the tribute. Now, you touched on it briefly just there, Adrian, but environmentalism, that's a bit of a penchant of yours, isn't it? Tell, tell me about that. Well, I first became involved with the environmental movement back in 1986. In actually quite, quite horrible circumstances. You remember in 86 in May, there was the Chernobyl nuclear explosion. Mm -hmm. And the plume of, of uh, radiation actually actually hit the northwest. Actually hit. Yes, Manchester. it hit Wales quite badly too. I think, it didn't did. it? It did. At the time we lived in Manchester, we lived uh, south of Manchester, and some very good friends of ours, their son was diagnosed within a few months 
with myeloid leukemia, which you can only get from, from nuclear material. Mm-hmm. You can't get it from smoking or, or eating too many burnt kebabs. This is, this is called, and the treatment is a drug called Glyvec. It costs the NHS £50,000 a year, and he's on it for life. And, he, and, and 30 years on, he's still alive and, and doing very well. But it doesn't help. Mm. And I just thought, this is outrageous. And I, about 10 years back, I also went to an exhibition in London which showed photographs of people from Chernobyl. And they were just horrendous. I mean, I can't begin to describe them. We suddenly realised, hang on, these people have been born after, after the explosion. These people weren't affected by the explosion. These people have been born since. Mm. So you then realise that these, this community is damaged for generations and generations to come. So I got involved in the environmental movement. And back in 96, I was told about issues of climate change. And like, like everybody, I went, well, okay, that's fine. But, you know, it's not proven and the rest of it. And they said, well, you know, here's all the evidence. Here's all the data. And I looked at that and I thought, you know, you know it's not proven, proven. But, you know, you have to take the precautionary principle and say it looks to me like this is going to happen and we've seen the climate change in the last 20 years drastically and dramatically and there's a there's a climate event somewhere around the world every week and I, I got involved and I went to the the conferences on climate change in The Hague and Bonn back in 2000-2001 I've been banging the drum ever since I'm just very concerned that we're leaving it very late to fix what's going to be a, a defining problem for our civilization. And didn't you, to the, um, the, your interest and concern is such that you did a, a, an additional qualification in it? Yes, I went back to university in uh, 2001. I took a year off, uh, you know, and to, and to be fair, you know, I had a very nice life, a very nice living. I gave it all up for a year, went back to university full-time for a year, did a master's degree in environmental management at the University of Surrey. Because my view is that, you know, if you want to set yourself up as a, as a go-to person, when someone says, well, what do you know about it? You can say, well, actually, I did, I did got a master's degree in it. And do you use that qualification now then, Adrian? You're quite involved in the environmental movement. No, it's just, it's just when your name comes up. I was told about a meeting at the council discussing environmental issues. I wasn't there, but my name was mentioned and somebody said, and Adrian Foster Fletcher says, and he should know. You know, and it's, it's like that. It, it gives you the credibility. Yes, and I went to the, 1999, I went to the Vodafone annual general meeting. Um, Vodafone are one of the biggest 20 biggest companies in the world. And by a quirk of fate, happened to be based in Newbury. The head office, the global head office is in Newbury. And I decided to do a bit of, you know, snooping about. And uh, I asked them for their environmental statement. And I got this book on where to set a phone mast. And in one corner, bottom page 27, was their environmental policy. It was 42 words. So I cut it out and went to the AGM. And she goes, any questions? Environmental policy, 42 words. Shall I read them out? We will try our best to. Where possible, we will. And um, the, the chief exec stood up and he was purple with rage because this was the AGM. We want to tell everyone we've made a billion pound profit for the first time ever. And I said, it's on page 42, bottom right hand corner. Anyway, when you campaign, you never know 
the effect of your campaigning. Mm. But by chance, I met a woman about 10 years later who said, thank you for my job. She said, I have the job of Global Sustainability Director for Vodafone. She said, I will tell you that the chief exec walked off stage and talked, turned to his chairman and said, McLaren, fix it. Just fix it. Get somebody and fix it. She said, and a month later, I started with the company. Fabulous. Fabulous. Just if go back to the book, Adrian, if, if, if there was one tip, somebody listening to this, that the man or woman, age over 50, lost the job through no fault of their own, what would the one tip you could be? But I, th I think I know what it's going to be, but do you want to sort of give it to us again? Can I give you three? Quickly, yes, please. Computing, make sure your technical skills are up to date. Mm -hmm. Secondly, be confident. Be confident in yourself and your ability and what you've done. And three, move outside your comfort zone. Brilliant, brilliant. Very succinct. Thank you for that. Now, if I can throw, if I can put that back to you, please, because nobody gets away with it on the podcast and it's super cheesy, but um, I do enjoy it. If you could go back to yourself at your younger self at the start of your career, whether that's straight out of uni, whether that's when you started your own um, headhunting agency or whatever what advice would you give yourself what one piece of advice work for yourself <laughs> straight up even straight from straight out of uni no no I mean I, I remember going for the interview with the company I joined and I said to the chap who worked there and one of the managers I said look I want to work for myself and he said look come here do five years here learn learn your mistakes at their cost and then work for yourself. Mm. That was good advice. That's an absolute perler, isn't it? Make your mistakes at their cost. And as well, you, you presumably within that, you've, you've got the um, mentors and, and the, t and the co colleagues that will develop you. And, and also, if you do make a mistake, they'll be the ones sort of to help you put it right and yes. all the rest of it. Great. Okay. Anyway, Adrian, thank you so much. There's so much in there for people over 50 that are on the job market. The book's available on Amazon, isn't it? Over 50, get, get that next job. Just Google it and it should take you straight there. So, yeah, so Adrian Foster-Fletcher, thank you for being my guest and every good wish with your endeavours. Thank you for asking me. Thank Appreciate you. Thank, thank you. you. So there you have it, Adrian Foster Fletcher explaining how and why he wrote the book and what he hopes it brings to the world. All alongside some insightful tips about finding and securing that dream job, even if you're in your 50s or older. As ever, I'd like to thank Adrian for taking the time out to speak to me. A guest's time always has to be the most valuable commodity and I'm always thankful to them for doing so. I'll add a link to the podcast notes on how and where to obtain a copy of Adrian's books. It's certainly worth a read. For the next episode, which will be out mid-August, I'm returning to my usual format of chatting to a lady of a certain age. The next episode, episode 9, will be a bit more indulgent for me. I talked to a major player in the freelance journalist world, Jenny Stellard, and how she's creating a complete new platform aimed at helping all those in the freelance world, not just journalism. 
And this is based on a vast experience in this arena. So watch this space. But for now, thank you for being here. I'm always immensely grateful. Enjoy the partial lifting of lockdown, but stay safe and well. And I look forward to taking talking to you again soon. Take care.